Hey crew, before we get started today, I wanted to give you an update on what's coming up on the show. Star Trek Discovery premieres on Sunday, September 24th, and will run for seven weeks before taking a break and coming back in the new year. And we are presenting a special live reaction show called Star Trek Discoverage that will premiere immediately after the premiere of Discovery on the 24th. So, you've just finished watching the adventures of the new crew, you've got opinions, and so do we. Tune in and hear us talk about the brand new show. I'll be joined by author Dave Galanter and Ella Pearson, co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the first episode. And we'll be going all over the ins and outs of the new Star Trek Discovery. If you want to listen live, follow us on Twitter, where I'll tweet out the link to tune into our live broadcast on the night of the 24th. You can also follow us on our Spreaker page, where you can listen to the show. Here's the link to our Spreaker page. It's a little weird. It's Spreaker.com forward slash show forward slash two zero two three seven seven eight so that's forward slash show forward slash two zero two three seven seven eight uh, there's also a link available on our website at enterprisingindividuals.com. So join us live for a look at the premiere. If you can't tune in live, all of our Discovered shows will be available on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. As for upcoming shows, next week we'll have a supplemental episode with news from the world of Trek, and in two weeks we'll have a very special episode looking at the TNG episode, The Wounded, and I'll be joined by author Jeffrey Lang for that one. Then two weeks after that we'll have a second season wrap-up show looking at some of the highlights from this year, and then we're going on a break. Uh, We're going to focus on Discovery and getting ready for the third season of Enterprising Individuals, which will start early next year. I usually pick an episode every season that I personally want to cover, the Captain's Prerogative show, but I'm going to exercise my option to pass on that for this season. Uh, There's been so many good episodes already, and believe me, I do plenty of talking on the episode coming up uh, right now, so you won't even know the difference. I want to take this opportunity to thank you, the listeners, for making this show so great and so fun to do. We've got a lot more coming up for you in the future, so stay tuned, and there's no other crew I'd want to explore the galaxy of Trek with. And with that, let's get underway. It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast where we boldly go into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and a Galaxy-class ship has everything you can imagine, except a child services department. Seems like a glaring omission. (laughs) I'm joined on this episode by Mikan Hana. Mikan Hana is the co-host of the Just Enough Trope podcast on the Just Enough Trope network. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cal. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. How many, this is how many times for you? This is my second. Is it your second? Yeah. Weren't you also the co-host or like the guest on the last Captain's Prerogative show? Uh, yes, I believe I was. Oh, I see. It made a big impact on you. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not getting invited back to one of those. Oh, no. Uh, What have you been up to in the meantime? What's going on with the Just Enough Trope podcast? Um, well, we've been wrapping up talking about Convergence. We've, um, been... Convergence? Yes. Is that the 
amazing con in the Twin Cities. It is. Where Enterprising Individuals recorded its first live episode. It is the amazing con where Enterprising Individuals yeah. reported its right, first right, episode. Right. Yeah, we got it. And <laughs> which is available right now at Enterprising Individuals Patreon page. That's correct. Patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. A continue. Um, we've been playing back some interviews that we we did at the con. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, we also just recently talked about Atomic Blonde. So there you oh, go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Charlize Theron. Yeah. Uh, 80s. Very 80s. Those are the two like points, the two pillars of that thing. Yes. Um, like, what's your encapsulated review? More mm-hmm. Atomic or more Blonde? Ooh. More Atomic. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you can't clarify. No. That's it. People have to wonder about what's going on with that. <laughs> and um, you cover other things on the show. Um, it's a sort of a general nerd podcast uh, type thing, but you do movies and television. Yes. Um, you do comic books as well, right? That's correct. Um, we do a segment called Craft of Services, which is uh, we, we talk about beloved movies that are um, below 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. Um, and then we do comic book club, which we talk about um, comics. I, I thought it was a, a book club. <laughs> it is a book club in a way. <laughs> yeah, right. Because comic books are books. <laughs> right. I'm convinced. Where do I sign up for for this craft? So for crafted services, you're doing low rated films, but I assume it's not just complete like direct to DVD things that nobody's ever no, heard of. No, it's it's because stuff that's beloved. Okay, but even to be, because I think to get on Rotten Tomatoes, you need at least some kind of wide release. Yes. This can't be just Len Karazinski or something like that did something in his backyard. And so it's something that is somewhat major. And then over the years, it's people still remember it. Yes. But it clearly wasn't accepted. Right. That's funny because I was, I was, I don't know, I was watching some video or something the other day and they were talking about how a, a wonderful, it's a wonderful life was a bomb like it bombed really on its release and the reason we see it so oh you know what it was i think it's adam ruins everything which is my new show which i won't plug on my show but i watch it all the time and they were talking about how because it is in public domain or it was so unpopular that they let the rights slide oh that my just become, became something that nascent cable uh, networks or even or even uhf stations um, just needed something to put on. Sure. And so it was super cheap or just free because nobody owned it or, or at least they weren't willing to really go to bat for the licensing fee. Huh. So that way it sort of warmed its way into our hearts. So I don't know, maybe, I, I know it's hard to find out what old people, you know, old people, but I mean like old reviews are for like a movie because now you look at something like Blade right. Runner, which was also a failure on its release and got kicked by a lot of critics. It's 98% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that because they count every time David Edelstein does a think piece on it in Slate, you know, and it's right. like, oh, amazing. Oh, Ridley Scott, height of his power. Uh, <laughs> yeah, suddenly it's a big thumbs up. So, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, people should check that out. Well, welcome to the show. Permission to come aboard is granted, although you are already aboard. Today cool. we'll be talking about Imaginary Friend, the 22nd episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's an episode that plays very differently than what you typically expect from an episode of The Next Gen, particularly for the fact that it primarily stars kids. Yes. Kid characters and kid actors. And it's not the first episode of Trek, and it won't be the last to do that. But today we'll be looking into, what's the deal with kids in Trek? Yeah. 
What's going on with that? I don't know. Uh, and we're going to have a chat about that. But like uh, playtime uh, at, at daycare or on the uh, on the playground, it'll be a loose, informal sort of chat. We don't have to be so rigid all the time. I feel comfortable talking to you. All right. Sounds good. Because uh, you're doing such a good job running those turbo lifts. Oh, thank you. I got here on time today. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so let's uh, relax, uh, put the riser program on, uh, stick the horgon out, and then start reading a good book. <laughs> and that's uh, what our discussion will uh, be like today. I wanted to ask you before we get into the show proper, um, you have recently completed a full watch of The Next Generation. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And you're moving on to DS9. That is also correct. So how have your opinions of Trek in general, or even specifically Next Generation, changed now that you've seen the whole enchilada the whole thing i still love next gen it's probably going to be uh, still like the closest to my heart because that's what i grew up on yeah um but there are some real stinkers out there <laughs> yeah especially in the last season um, oh boy i don't know it's real hit or miss yeah. season seven yeah so uh, as you probably know guests on this show get to pick the episode they want to talk about right and in the first we're kind of in the early days. I mean, we've been on for almost two years now, so people still kind of come and want to talk about their favorite episode. Right. But I envision as people return to the show, we'll run out of favorite episodes, or they'll start to find those bones that just really are begging to be picked. Yeah. And we'll get people to talk about Sub Rosa or... Uh, masks, both seven season episodes for TNG, or just any old episode that they, um, yeah, not great. That those are totally valid, and Which we won't is give the one with the candle. That's Sub Rosa. Okay, that's the one. All right. Yeah, it's somebody decided to make Star Trek Dark Shadows for just just forty five minutes. Yep, and then we went back. Uh, so we won't uh, spoil whether that is a pick like that for you today, because we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, now, are you familiar with DS Nine? Have you watched a lot of DS Nine? Um, just a little bit, just kind of scratch the surface, uh -huh. um, in maybe like four or five episodes of the first season. Something oh, like okay. That. So yeah, so you're totally new to it. What do you yes. think of it so far? I like it. Um, it's, well, your voice went up. It, it did. Jerry Seinfeld's told me that that means like, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Well, it's, it's different. Um, it's different than being on a starship because, um, you're, on this station, so you're stationary, really, for the most part. Huh. Yeah, weird how that works. Language is funny. I know. Um, so you're not exploring space so much as, like, space is exploring you. you. <laughs> like, it's like coming and exploring you, you know? That's, put that, that's perfect. <laughs> I love that. That's really great. You should have had a self-satisfied sniff after that. Uh, yeah, that's there good. You go. When you clear up, we'll do another one oh, clean. Okay. But yeah, that's that's awesome. I know that I they I think they both intended that, but also were um, not victims, but heavily influenced by that as the storytelling went on. Because yeah, it's not have gun will travel or wagon train to the stars or whatever. Like right. you can't just fix a problem and then warp nine engage. You have to live with the problems that you fix. Yes, you do. And I have seen. Uh, more than you of DS9, but I also have not seen, you know, the entire series back to back, end to end. And I know that a lot of people um, would agree. A lot of people would also tell you, yeah, but then they throw a crazy ass episode in there every once in a while. Like, right. I think Babel is in the first five or six episodes of the first season, right? And that's one where it's clear so. that they went, yeah, I've been dealing with the Bajoran and the Cardassian thing. But what if everybody just started going, 
Fire engine broccoli chocolate. Yes. Like, what? This yeah. is our crazy gas episode. Yeah. So yeah, I think that, but that's that's something that people really like about it. Yeah. And I think people generally like it, but if you don't like that, you don't like this. Right. You know, you want to go from planet to planet every week. There's a new love interest or right. Oh, it's my brother Sam. Sam Kirk. Oh, he's dead. Like you know, you're always kind of adding <laughs> new elements. And um. Yeah, uh, I think um, those are both valid ways to go. For sure. But you're probably a TNG girl. Um, in my heart. <laughs> in my heart of hearts. Any plans to watch it again at any time soon? Um, maybe after I'm done watching Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Well, you then know. you got to start watching Voyager. Oh, you're right. And don't forget the original series, too. Yeah. Have you not seen all the... I have not seen okay. all the original series. Yeah. So... Um, well, come back uh, to talk about DS9. Okay. In the future or in the far future, uh, Voyager. Sounds good. Okay. Um, well, let's move on. Let's. Uh, well, we're talking about Imaginary Friend. As I said, it is the 22nd episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It first aired on May 4th of 1992. The teleplay for this episode is by Edith Swenson and Brandon Braga. Braga needs no introduction as a writer-producer for this show and other Trek shows. This is Swenson's only contribution to Trek, but she was an executive story editor and writer for the series Charmed. Oh, okay. And also the Canadian series Odyssey 5. Ever heard of that? No. Okay, here's the pitch. I hadn't either. Check this out. <clears throat> After witnessing the destruction of Earth from orbit, a group of astronauts is sent back in time and given five years to prevent the disaster from happening. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that sound awesome? It sounds amazing. Oh, have I never heard of this show? I don't know. It, it's so clear that, and I didn't deep, uh, dig too far into it. Like, I don't know if, you know, Roddenberry or some, some I don't know who produced it or, or what, what studio right. it's from. But And it stars Peter Weller. Oh wow! Yeah, it's amazing. So, and they've clear—they got a clear five-year plan. <laughs> it's like we've got five years, five seasons. Yeah, there Perfect. you go. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't know what happened to that, but she worked on that. The story for the episode is by Jean Louise Mathias and Ronald Wilkerson, who are a writing pair that wrote uh, four TNG episodes and three Voyager ones, and Richard Flagel, who is a screenwriter and novelist, and contributed only to this episode. Okay. So this clearly came from the submission bin. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Star Trek at this time was accepting scripts from outside of the writer's room. And um, there are plenty of episodes that are good ones. Um, you would look at and hold up as great for Trek uh, in result of that plan. And a lot of people that, you know, I know personally who benefited from it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that come out and you probably go, oh, we could work that into something. <laughs> Eight weeks later. We, we can't work this into anything. We just, we got to start shooting. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, and uh, it was directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. She's the first female director for the series. She directed oh, seven cool. Next Generation episodes, uh, one DS9 episode, and one Voyager episode. And she has directed a lot of TV. Um, she worked on MASH, Dukes of Hazzard, uh, Miami Vice, Law and & Order, and Beverly Hills 90210. Awesome. And the start date for this episode is 45832.1. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, you don't have a choice is to give us a 25-word synopsis of Imaginary Friend. Um, all right. So Clara Sutter is a uh, daughter to Ensign Daniel Sutter. She has an imaginary friend named Isabella, and Isabella becomes real and gets her into trouble and kind of threatens the ship. 
as well. That's my 25 word synopsis. <laughs> Not including those last words. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's very concise. Uh, some interesting facts from the episode. I cannot be sure. I think this might be true, though, and maybe you can help me out, that I think this is the first appearance of the full Arboretum set. I'm not 100%. Probably. I know that we see Data and Kiko in the Arboretum in the episode Data's Day. Sure. But it's just some plants. Right. So I think this is the first time we see the little sort of fake golf green, yeah, and the pond and yeah, the water hazard and, and all that sort of thing. Sure. Um, which gets a real workout in Dark Page, um, the seventh episode of the seventh season. Okay. Starring uh, Luxana Troy. Oh, right. So anyway, that's an interesting implication. I'm not sure that's a fact, but there you go. Uh, there, are, of course, are kid actors in this episode. Noli Thornton plays Clara Sutter. She also played Taya in the DS9 episode Shadow Play. Okay. She's a child actress. She retired in 1995, but before, uh, not before, I should say, playing Heidi in the 1993 Disney Channel miniseries of the same name. Oh, okay. It also starred Jason Robards and Jane Seymour. I take it you don't remember that one? No, I Isn't don't. Is Heidi blonde? But she, I could see her being a Heidi. Why isn't the other girl Heidi? She's blonde. Yeah. It's not, it's not hair color blind casting. I, I don't know. Well, speaking of the other girl, her name is Shay Astar. Definitely her real name. Uh, she plays Isabella. She's still an actress today. Uh, she had a long run as the character August on 30, uh, 30 Rock, Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, okay. Which, as far as like, yeah, I never really got to DS9. I never really got to, to Third Rock. Really? Good stuff? I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I know that Shatner was on it. Yeah. It, oh, was, crap. it was a fun show. I should stop talking. I can do a Third Rock uh, recap for our next April Fool, Fool show. There we go. That's behind the curtain. And she's still an actress, and she's a singer-songwriter now in L.A. Oh, okay. And if you see a picture of her, she looks exactly like you'd expect. She's just a larger version of this girl. Okay. Sometimes kid actors go through some strange transformation and become totally different. Right. Or sometimes they're Clint Howard, which he's just always looked like Clint Howard. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, and of course, uh, Brian Bonesaw is in this. He returns as Alexander. Uh, he was originally Andy on Family Ties. I don't remember, you know, if you remember oh. the later seasons of uh, Family Ties, they yes. brought the um, the new Keaton kid in. Yes. And he played him. And he was the star of Disney's Blank Check I don't remember that series. Remember Blank Check? No. So here's, maybe you'll remember this. Here's the poster. It uh, says Blank Check. And there's a kid and he's like got a skateboard and a backpack. And he's looking at you over his shoulder. And he's pulling his sunglasses down. Oh my and he's gosh. like, yeah, it's Blank Check. That's me. <laughs> and he gets a Blank Check or something. So now he's rich. And the Blank Check belongs to Miguel Ferrer, the recently departed Miguel Ferrer, who is trying to get it back. Okay. Um, most recently seen on Twin Peaks The Return gotcha. as Albert. So he is also still around. He left acting in 98 to join a punk band, and he's had kind of the typical child actor run-ins with the law. Okay. Which we won't get into here. Uh, it's a neck tattoo situation. Oh. So that kind of gives you the whole Ooh. picture of that. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that's too bad. But anyway, uh, Jeff Allen plays Daniel Sutter, uh, Clara's dad. Uh, he's had a couple of film roles. He's mostly a TV day player. But, and maybe you can help me with this, on his IMDb page, it says in 2013, he was on House of Cards and he played the role of Congresswoman 2? What? Do you watch House of Cards? No. What's going on on House of Cards? I don't know. <laughs> why, did, why is he, what's Congresswoman 2? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> is he playing a transgender lady? I don't progressive. Do, do we have any transgender uh, senators or congresspeople? Maybe in House of Cards we do. <laughs> this show's more progressive than I thought. <laughs> Kevin Spacey turns to the camera. I might be an asshole, but I'm very accepting when it comes to our LGBT. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I think it's maybe an error, but I don't, I don't know. So anyway, he's got that kind of face where I could swear that I've seen him in something. Sure. And I probably have because he's been on a lot of shows, you know, as like a, just a one-off character type thing. Um, I will say that Rick Berman was an early supporter of this episode's premise. Um, whether that confirms or denies anything you know about Rick Berman already, that's up to you. <laughs> But he said uh, specifically about it, quote, where else but in science fiction could you do an idea about an imaginary friend who turns out to not be imaginary, unquote. And I'm like, uh, new Twilight Zone, <laughs> maybe, or Friday the 13th, the series. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a Star Trek uh, sort of story. Um, and I, guess who agrees with me? Who? A guy named Herbert J. Wright. Uh, he was a writer, uh, a co-writer of four episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. He also was a co-producer early on the show and an old friend of Gene's that worked on the Quester tapes. And he hated it. Oh. And he said specifically, uh, quote, it's not a show that dealt with our regulars. It's not a show that needed to be Star Trek. I think Michael Piller was trying to do E.T., but what made that film work huh. is hard to do on Star Trek. Uh, because E.T. is an alien in the suburban neighborhood trying to get home, and it's a lost pet turns out to be a genius alien. But Invisible Friends' problem was, how do you have a, like an adolescent alien? Right. Quote. And so, no, he didn't uh, He didn't think it was that great. Huh. Um, once again, save your review. We're getting to... Okay. <laughs> we're getting to our thoughts and feelings. They're coming. The script passed through uh, many people's hands uh, before it reached the screen. The final rewrite, of course, was given to Brennan Braga, and originally, he had Isabella as a more curious and friendly alien. Interesting. And it was only later that it was taken in a darker direction. Yeah. I think he said specifically before he changed it to for her to be sort of darker and more sinister, that she had kind of a Puff the Magic Dragon vibe. Interesting. Like, oh, she's a space fish out of space water and like what's this Ooh, what's this ice cream sundaes what's this? so strange yeah yeah and um and then he's like no, well i mean where's the conflict yeah so clearly she's evil clearly and early scripts did not have guinan appearing in this episode at all oh um, as you probably know you know Whoopi goldberg's doing a lot of other stuff yeah and so they kind of got her when they could get her and she was suddenly available, so they wrote her in only days before they actually started shooting. And the cloud-watching scene where she and Data are looking at the nebula was yeah. originally scripted to be for Crusher and Troy. Interesting. Yes, which explains the problem with that scene. What's the problem with that scene? We'll get to it. Okay. Let's talk Imaginary Friend. Season five. Yes. What's your favorite season of TNG, now that you've seen them all? Oh boy i don't know maybe four or five yeah i think i would be kind of like the meat yeah of the whole... i think i'd be dark horse but not too dark horse and say season three okay because i think they're really starting to ramp it up there it's not perfect but it's real good sure but at the back half of season five where we are the show's running on all cylinders yeah and we're gonna throw one of those cylinders <laughs> once or twice um as we go through season six and then the whole engine kind of falls apart 
but we roll, roll across the finish line yeah. on fire That's uh, right. by the time we get to the end of the seventh season. And you're looking at, these are all from the last back half of uh, season five. The First Duty, The Outcast, Next Phase, Inner Light. Mm-hmm. These are all great episodes. Yeah. Um, you've got cost of living. Don't worry about it. We'll just, we won't talk. That's another one that I'm hoping somebody will uh, pick to be their uh, whipping boy episode. <laughs> That's the one with the, uh, the wind rider, the floating head in the bubble. Oh my gosh. And everybody's taking a mud bath. Yes. Everybody's taking a mud bath. Yes. I remember that one. Is that real mud or is it holographic mud? <sighs> Good question. And if it's two things, one, if it's holographic, could clean up. Yeah. Uh, that's easy. You're beta Zed, so you don't care that it disappears and you're suddenly naked, right? Right. If it is holographic, this is a twist on the, if you eat a hamburger in the holodeck, d- it doesn't nourish you. Do you still yeah. get the relaxing properties of the mud if it goes away? Oh, good question. Yes. Questions <laughs> that episode failed to ask or answer, really. Yes. Well, that's where this is dropped in at the uh, 22nd episode slot. And my question is... Why? Why? Yeah. Like, what were they going for? How could you sandwich this in between something like The First Duty, uh, which is, hey, we got Wesley Crusher, you know, Will Wheaton's back, and tells a very important, uh, very difficult story about what it is to be a Starfleet officer, and then something like The Next Phase, which is, you know, it's popcorn, but it's really well done, like tense popcorn, like Jordan sure. and Roe are... Running through the ship and then, <laughs> sure, it ends with a mariachi band funeral, but sometimes it's hard to stick the landing. <laughs> um, is it just a, the question of them being in a position where, well, we got a slot here. Uh, go to the crank pile. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, tell me more. Um, I think that they needed something to fill the slot. Um, I mean, you got like, what, 25 episodes? 25 20 or 26, s- yeah. Episodes a season. Um, this is coming towards the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I think they and that's just where, needed something to fill it. Yeah, and that's where you get, it's sort of like, what is it, like 10 to midnight, isn't that it? For Star Star Wars, Star Trek, Star... There's Something star, like that. There's stars in New York from Saturday Night Live. The the sketches from ten o'clock to the end of their program, the last ten minutes of the show, basically, yes, are where the really weird ideas go. Like you do the cold open with the political thing, probably, um, and then you do a, like a couple celebrity cameos or just play off the star, the hosts. Um, public persona or something right do a movie parody a commercial or two but it's in those like last 10 minutes where you get after weekend update where you get the really weird stuff yeah that either totally just goes down nobody says a word or laughs at all or they're what people remember right and of course now i'm blanking on probably all my favorite sketches are from then so i'll just start saying like uh what about the scared straight one sure that's the kind of thing i think you could throw in near the end uh, <laughs> where it's just uh, Keenan Thompson just making the cast laugh. Right. Things like that turn out to be really great. And this ep- this season is funny because they, they drop uh, Imaginary Friend, yeah. which I think on paper seems like the perfect kind of episode, and it practices like, what? what? Um, <laughs> and then like almost right after that you go, oh, the inner light. Did they consider the inner light to be like, eh, well, just, just throw it out there? I... Because the inner light is the same thing. It was written by somebody who was not, as far as I understand, 
connected heavily to the production. It was like, right. hey, try this. You know, I open up the manila envelope. What's the inner light? Let's read this. Is that the flute one? Yeah. Okay. So that's the, yeah, that's the, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, just like for a production that's been doing this for five years and would go on to do it for many more years, the fact that it's such a grab bag still terrifies me. Well, it's a little terrifying while you're watching Well, I'm it. just having empathy for the production. D- don't you think, like if you, you put out the best of both worlds, check this out, season finale, we're going to come back, do it again. Clearly, people are going to love this. Right. It's, it, you know, no no question there. But how do they not know? <laughs> they, how can they present us imaginary friend, which I've already completely just crapped on, and it's clear that I don't really like this show, and then inner light almost at the same time and go, yeah, it's all, it's all the same. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's it seems like they don't have a really good grasp on. It does seem that way. What you know their audience wants and what makes this show great yeah it does seem that way uh brandon braga named this as the most gratifying script that he had written in the fifth season really yes i find that um fascinating he liked the fact that the that children got to play a larger role in this script and he says he nicknamed it um romper room the next generation (laughs) <laughs> and for a guy who is going to go on to do a lot of great stuff for the um for the franchise still it's like wow some some creators just have like a real blind spot for certain things i guess yeah because he didn't work on rascals that's clearly where they went people love the kid stuff right you got to go back to that for sure right let's actually replace literal cast members with children and see what happens yeah, exactly so yeah I'm not sure what was actually going on there. There's a long tradition of having kids on Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, the aforementioned Wesley Crusher. Yes. Right off the bat. Jake and Nog are, are, are you know, they grew up eventually, but they were kid uh, characters on DS9. Yep. Um, we mentioned Rascals, of course. The original series, episodes like The Children Shall, Shall Lead, um, Miri. The aforementioned Clint Howard. Yeah. Clint Howard played Baylock on the first production episode of Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek period, huh. the Corbomite maneuver. And so they've always been comfortable having kids on this show. Sure. But what do you think the point of having kids on the show is? I think to show that this is um, a ship that um, isn't just for, uh, this is for families, you know? <laughs> right. Um, is it a mirror? Uh, I'll let you go on. Sorry. Yeah. But is it a mirroring type thing? That thing where it's like, kids love watching little kids. So the new hero of Star Star Wars is Anakin Skywalker because kids love Anakin Skywalker. It might be. It might be a ploy to try to get kids to watch. But why do people think that? I don't know. Kids don't. Kids like Luke Skywalker. They don't I like know. Anakin Skywalker. I know. Kids don't want to be kids. They want to be adults. Right. <laughs> Just kind of like the kids in this episode, really. Uh, something. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, something on on those lines. Like while researching this, what do you do? You Google Star Trek kids, and yeah. I found a million hits, a million results pointing to sites about introducing your kids to Star Trek, or like the top ten best episodes to get oh, your kids really? into Star Trek. How do you feel about that? Um. Well, obviously, you're excited about your fandom. You want to share it with your kid. So, is your kid going to join the Marines the second he's eligible? The, not necessarily. Is he going to sign up? 
<laughs> when he's 17 and his 18th birthday. I'm out of here, nerd dad. He's going to do a million push-ups in Afghanistan. Won't that happen? Maybe. Part of me is like, oh, yeah, okay. At least we're not going to introduce our kids with Sub Rosa, you know. Right. But at the same time, it just feels so creepy and, and weird, like that you're going to, and I guess every Voyeuristic parent has to go through kinda. this. Yeah, but you're like, how do I trick my kid into liking what I like? Yeah. Get a friend. Yeah. <laughs> that you can talk to Star Trek about. Don't grow your own Star Trek friends to talk <laughs> to Star Trek. Talk to, talk to me. I'm on Facebook at EISD Pod. I'll talk to you about Star Trek. Don't do that to your kids. I just think that's weird. That's a great point you made about Next Generation and the fact that this is a different, this is a new thing. We want to keep the military fiction, science fiction aspect, but... Keiko's also out there picking up Miles' socks or whatever. Yes. But what about the original series? It often had, or maybe not often, but it, it did have kids on it. Um, what is it about writing a military fiction, space science fiction story, and you go, well, I gotta get some kids in there? I think it goes back to um, this maybe being a family show. And you, you know, think that the original Star Trek was designed to be a family show? Possibly. Everything that's on at 8 o'clock is a family show. And, you know, I think it was maybe even a bigger deal back then when Original Trek was on that you get together as a family and you watch something together. In my experiences interviewing people, whether or not they intended that, that's what it became. Yeah. For sure. So Everybody I talked to, their mother, their father, their older brother or sister, somebody was into Star Trek. Yes. And kind of... Ten, Got kids, them into ten episodes to show your little brother <laughs> to get him into Star Trek. Uh, so, I mean, it works for sure. Do you think that there's a creepy child aspect? Aren't creepy kids extra creepy? Creepy kids are the actually ring, creepy. Poltergeist? Yes. Um, is there a, does that carry over from horror in that, well, a little blonde girl in a little dress and then her eyes, they glow oh, red. red. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, is that, are they trying to exploit that? Like, I, I think so. Our normal... We're, we've all it's what it's it's weird detachment thing <clears throat> because we have all been children we all feel like we understand children right but if you take an adult who has not been around kids or doesn't have any kids of his or her own her own and you put them in a room with a bunch of kids right they're gonna flip out or be real uncomfortable right and they're almost they're like they're like little animals or monsters or something <laughs> You know, they're like a, they're like, like most dogs, if you act friendly to them, they run up and they're friendly. But some dogs, you're like, hey, and the dog's just like running off and doing its own thing. You're like, I don't, I thought I understood how this machine works. Right. You just hold your hand out and, and kids are like that. It's like, well, they've got hair and eyes and, and feet and they're like a person, but they're just going to do that. They're going to hide behind their parents. They're, they're, they're a smaller person. <clears throat> ignore me or they're going to throw rocks at me. Right. Or tell me to get a job. And yeah, they're just, there's this fear of the other, which is even magnified because they are the same. Yeah. That's the answer to the question I asked you, but that's fine. <laughs> or they're played by Michael J. Pollard and they're horrifying. Oh my goodness. I'm just kidding. He's really great. I like him. Why do you think they chose, beyond the fact that Brandon Braga got real excited about writing this kid's episode, uh, <laughs> why do you think they did this one now? Like, why now? Why put this on? Season five, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, I think because when I prepare your answer, sorry, yeah, I'll pad the question because when I think about children on Star Trek, I think of <laughs> there's another show 
which I love, but again, I won't name them, that refers to the Slickback trilogy. There's a long history on Next Generation, at least, of kids appearing on episodes and they're orphans. They're recently sure. orphaned. Over the course of the episode, they've been orphaned. There's a kid who is orphaned and uh, he starts, he thinks he's an android. He's like, well, I'll eat this ice cream. Mm, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like he starts taking after data. There's a kid who is raised by aliens and he's like a alien kid. But then he comes in and Picard tries to take him under his wing and then he stabs Picard for his trouble. Uh, and every time you see one of these characters, first of all, their hair slick back, <laughs> straight back, pomade. That's apparently a visual shorthand for something wrong with this kid. Okay. That or he's on Wall Street. And you go with that and then whenever you look, whenever they go, hey, where's the kid at? We just cut to him alone, alone in crew quarters somewhere, just sitting in a chair or playing with a ball or something. Where the hell is Counselor Troy? Yeah, no Does kidding. Does she have a staff? I don't know that she does. <laughs> is it just her? I think it's just her. I mean, we know, and this might, uh, I didn't mention this in the facts because I can't confirm this, but I think season five is when we get the daycare set. Okay. Is that it? I think so. Because I know that Alexander appears in season four, but he really, he's a fixture so, kind of in season five. Yeah. And then we start to get the let's hire some multiple kid actors and now we're on the we hey let's that. play with the thing and let's start a fire in the zoo and that whole sure. thing sure yeah. we get that in this episode too with yeah. the ceramics class yeah they kind of bring it back after a while yeah um, yeah so my question is and I, you don't know the answer I just want your speculation like why there are a lot of kids in season five yeah not necessarily focusing on them but why why now why not now <laughs> next question <laughs> Uh, care to elaborate on that at all? Um, I think it's. I I think they just decided kids fun, <laughs> and um, you know they decided, hey, we we have an opening here. Let's put some kids in there, and let let's grab this up with kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, very possibly. Uh, <laughs> I have a theory. Now, this sort of relates to my kind of crackpot theory, but it's a meta crackpot theory because it extends to the production. Okay. And leaves the confines of the the, the show, the four by three box you're watching this on, is that it, 1992. Yep. Here's what's on the schedule. Full House, The Wonder sure. Years, Doogie Howser, Step by Step, Family Matters, the whole TGIF thing. They're all got kids. There are a lot of kids on TV at this time. That's true. Fresh Prince. Not really kids. Oh, man. Can you imagine if Will Smith or there was like a Fresh Prince style episode of TNG? That would be crazy. If, well, it was the wrong time because Joe Piscopo was on on DS. No, he was on uh, TNG. That's right. So if they just called up like a hologram program of an old Earth entertainer and it's like Jeff and... Fresh Prince. There you go. And they're like, what? Qu- inquiry. What is summertime? <laughs> well, we're going to tell you what summertime is. Hit it. <laughs> I really wish they'd done something like that. So m- maybe it was an attempt to just grab a trend, I guess. But a- as we've established, you know, the children do show up on Star Trek. I just think it's funny that children always seem to st- show up on Star Trek and-, and-, and are weird. Yeah. That or they're just really annoying or... You don't know how to deal with them because the one time, the one thing that I do 
think works good on TNG is when they are using kids for what they really should be using them for, and they do this on DS9 all the time with Jake and Kiko and Nog, is how they relate to their parents. Raising kids. Right. Not the fact that my kid is going to sprout tentacles, but the fact that it's tough to raise a kid, and Alexander doesn't want to be a Klingon, and Worf's right. like, I don't, this kid doesn't want to be a Klingon. I'm, where's the airlock? We're going to take care of this right now. Right. And just having to deal in that sort of stand. And then there was it birthright, the one where he takes, he's like, well, let's uh, let's go down to the Klingon Renfest and then you can yes. see all that stuff. And yeah. But then he's a future Alexander. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, we're, let's stick to imaginary friend here. Um, what'd you think about um, Clara? We haven't even talked about the imaginary friend yet. Yeah. Well, we won't just yet. What'd you think about Clara and her father, like their relationship? I thought they had a decent relationship. I mean, he seems concerned, uh, like genuinely concerned, and that's why he has Troy talk to her. And um, yeah, we do, I, I like when we get and we get this a lot when the kids show up, the daycare, season five, and so on, and so forth. Also, when I think they realized, oh yeah, so people are mad that we're not doing anything with the women. So suddenly, Troy's doing her job. Like you see yeah. her actually doing things and not. I I sense he's lying. Like right. She's, being a counselor and the doctors doing doctor stuff, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think also too, there's one scene where he asked Jordy if like um, his parents, if, if he moved around a lot, yeah, in Starfleet and everything. This is yeah, because he's. Oh, that's something else that I wanted to mention. I really like the fact that uh, Sutter um, is. It's not just like, well, I uh, move around a lot. It's kind of rough. Here's my kid. And he disappears. Like, he is he's an engineering guy. He's part of the guy. show. Yeah, and he's working with Jordy, So he's there the whole time. Yeah. And they're working together on the, the nebula problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Jordy advises him. And, I mean, so I guess Sutter technically. And Jordy gives the worst advice. I know. Because Jordy's Sutter, just like, like hey, it's tough. You'll figure it out. Thanks. Sutter technically asked him for advice. Yeah. Even though Jordy has no kids. Nope. He has no kids. But he's been one, so he knows but all about it. But he's been one. Yeah. So therefore, I guess he See, has That's a great parallel, way. too, because I bet, I'm not, I'm not a parent myself, but I bet there's people in parents' lives who are like that. They're like, oh, yeah, you just, you'll figure it out. It's, it's, it's easy. Yeah. Just trust, love will find a way. And you're yeah. You're like, all right, asshole. Kids are resilient. Thank kids you. Kids are resilient. Thank you. Spent the whole day in a room with a corpse, but kids are resilient. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Jordy, I don't, I really want to talk about Jordy, but this isn't really an episode about him. No. I feel like he is constantly acting like a, a regular person, <laughs> like a well-adjusted person. Yes. We never really see him. And I don't know if it's their conception of the character, because he certainly turns into a certain character, or he is a certain character. He's somebody who has these obvious flaws, but they're very quickly sort of waved away as well it's you know like he can't he can't seem to connect with women but it's because he's too nice right and it that's the intention and that's what they want to come through but if you look at and we've talked about this i think before in at least in terms of tng the way that they write some of the scenes where he's trying to deal with women or the way that he interacts with them it's like oh no you're a big warning sign I know that this isn't supposed to be the subtext, but the subtext that's emergent is that women steer away from him because right. it's like, I don't think I'd want to spend a turbo lift ride with this guy. Right. 
<laughs> it's just funny what I don't. I'm sure they don't intend that. But again, this thing comes off as like, well, thanks. I'm asking my boss for help, and he gives me some platitude that doesn't help at all. Right. In the meantime, my kid is talking to thin air. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the imaginary friend. Yes. So let's. scary. Red eyes. Isabella. Isabella. Yeah. Uh, it, it's. I think that, and again, I don't know, I might agree with Herbert that this might not be a Star Trek show, but it's not a horrible premise. It's not. It's the kind of thing that we created science fiction for. There's this phenomenon where kids invent imaginary friends. Right. Sometimes. What what would happen if it wasn't imaginary? Right. And that, yeah, okay, that seems like a sci-fi plot, I guess. How do you think that they pull that off? Imagine you're the Russian judge. <laughs> Hold up a card with a number on it. Um, I think they pulled it off pretty well for the most part. Yeah. I like that so she's not imaginary anymore. Right. And um, I also think that there were some things that were not intentionally supposed to be funny that were funny. Do tell. Like her glowing red eyes. <laughs> um, that, uh, yeah, that's another, um, boy, what a great act break. And then you see it, it's like, oh, it wasn't really a good act break. <laughs> that's kind of funny. And there's another part where um, she's mad because Clara has gone to the ceramics class without her and she's right. ignoring her. Right. And she ruins this cuff that... Alexander is working on. She's got a high school theater production of a ghost-related play. This thing. Yes. <laughs> Things are going to be knocked over, and, and no then one knows how. she throws a piece of clay at Alexander's <laughs> right. head, right? Which I think is also unintentionally funny. Which Claire is lucky that he doesn't like being uh, Klingon because, yeah, that's uh, that's a battle to the neck right there. Yeah, no kidding. If you're in Klingon ceramics class, <laughs> she's so petulant. Yes. And what I want to know, in your opinion, is that just. Um, a freelance writer working out <laughs> their problems with their with their three year old, or is that a commentary? Is that Isabella's unwitting commentary on human children, or I guess at least Federation children? Because she she plays like she wants she wants to do it now 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 if you cut all of the scenes where she's glowing eyes and she's floating around and you just showed this to somebody that person would be like little girl's a bitch what's wrong with that little girl right she's a brat she's a bad girl yeah but it, do you think that they are trying to to imply some kind of commentary here like why is that's my question why is isabella such a brat i think she's a brat because they chose for her to be evil <laughs> so the writers said yes yeah if she's puff the magic dragon not interesting yeah okay um, I guess my, well, I'm doubling down on my crackpot theories. My crackpot theory is that the cloud beings or whatever, the yes. entities, they apparently have no structure, like so family structure or whatever. They seem to have a sense of, they right. have a, a society, they have a sense of personal social justice, for sure. Right. But Picard has to explain to them how parenting works. Yes. And he has to explain that, which maybe makes sense for a being that comes into being as a blob of energy and lives out its energy days maybe forever and never develops but he has to explain to them she's a small version of us 
they're not able to take care of themselves, and we they, have they have to have a structure to and rules, them. right? Which she, uh, Isabella, apparently understands. But I don't know why, as apparently an intelligent being that can completely mimic the form of a little girl, yeah, who definitely goes to a private uh, daycare or a <laughs> private uh, preschool, uh, can't extrapolate that into, oh, okay, I, I understand. Because her immediate reaction is, you're mean to her, you're all going to die. Yeah. And it's not fair. Yeah. Also. So I don't know if that ever came down to a theory, but I, you know, if Mars needs moms, I think the entities of FGC 47 need moms. (laughs) Or Sutter's Cloud or whatever we're going to call it. Yes. Uh, They need moms for sure. For sure. No, I agree. Why does, here's another question. Why does Worf see her that one time? She's very careful about never being seen. Yes. And then there's this one time where Worf's like, um, you're not supposed to be here. I think he sees her because they're not paying attention and they're They caught being, the energy being off guard. Yeah. <laughs> and they're being mischievous together. They're running. They know they're not supposed to be running in down the corridor. Right. To me, it just seems like uh, housekeeping in the in the story, in the script. Okay. Because we need somebody to see this. So later on, Worf's able to say, uh, I did see a strange girl over there. Like somebody hair, can corroborate her. Blue dress. Yeah, can corroborate the story um, for Troy or whoever it is that Claire's talking to. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like, she's so good at it. I know. Getting away with it. And then one time, maybe she lets it slip. And I don't know. I'm really interested in the psychology of the nebula creatures um, as embodied in Isabella. Because otherwise, it's just... Scary little girl story. This is a wow em. What's know. next? A flute? Screw that. We're gonna we're gonna knock that out of the park. Because <laughs> they just like, oh, it's gonna be so weird. But it's like, well, some of the best episodes. Look at the Outcast. You could have that story be about Riker, and it ends up not being about Riker. Right. Riker falls in love with this this person on this planet, and it is entirely her story. Like he could just leave the story. And then we're watching this person be persecuted, you know, just for being who she is. Right. It's an amazing metaphor in 1992. Right. You know? All right. It's It's... fluff. I shouldn't get too mad at it. (laughs) (laughs) What did it do to us? Well, it doesn't do what Isabella does because, okay, so there's like petulant girl. There's the whole, and you are a girl, right? Uh, Last time I checked, As a girl, um... You know about like girl clicks and like mean girls. Cons- yeah, mean girls. I mean that exists, you know, for boys too. But you know, specifically, she shows this very whole like, oh well, we're gonna do what I say, and I guess like, oh, I can't come along. Well, then you can't do this, or maybe I'll just take this away from you. Right. And then at one point, she just starts torturing her. Like she's invisible, but like Clara's like, ah, she's just like screaming in her room. Yeah. And she throws Troy across the. <laughs> across the room yeah she like hits her with like a beam of some sort yeah one of those handy beams yeah that uh, aliens always seem to have i think that they were trying to show her being a brat because she's evil like again i just keep going back to the she's evil her evilness yeah well if she's evil why didn't they just nuke the nebula and and just just move on (laughs) well because they don't do that on Star Trek, you know. You're right. They, they live and let be evil. Well, they they don't judge other aliens for their, you know. They try to reason with them, like Picard tried to reason with her. Yeah, 
or yeah, yeah, and I love. There's a part where uh, this is one of my favorite moments of the episode, um, where he goes to the. First of all, things they ask uh, Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart, to do in this show. I know, <laughs> like go stand on a golf green and just yell at nothing. But I like the part where he's like, "Oh, can you only beat up on little girls? Yeah, <laughs> show yourself." Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he confronts her. Yeah, but my thing is like. This is another episode where they just fly away and you guys made contact with another like all-powerful energy race that is devastatingly intelligent even though they don't understand like the human family dynamic. Right. And you guys just fly away. You're I like, know. thanks for getting rid of the net or <laughs> whatever that was keeping us here. Right. Goodbye. Pretty much. Leave a probe. I assume somebody, somebody, some very smart author must have a series of books that's about the cleanup, like the damage control of the Star Trek universe. Sure. The people that show up after the Enterprise has talked the uh, the computer to death and now the <laughs> now the society is in ruins. And then like, hey, what's going on? The little space hard hats, they come in like, we're going to get your water running again. <laughs> and here's a bunch of cultural attaches to uh, talk to you about your crazy energy stuff or whatever you got going on with that. <laughs> I think that'd be a good like series. So it don't I'm going to use series. that. Don't take that. Okay. But yeah, they sort of teach them. See, you say they're evil. I disagree. I think that, you know, cruelty or un, unloving justice can seem evil or look evil. Okay. That's my sniff moment. Okay. Because she, uh, Isabella thinks that she's doing the right thing. This makes she sense. She totally does. You guys have flown your, your weird looking ship in here. You're all caught up in our spider webs now. And apparently you're really mean to each other. Right. Because this little girl just wants to make some clay stuff. and She wants to play around in engineering. Play, yeah, she just, just wants to play around in incredibly dangerous parts of the ship. Yeah. You don't want her to do that. Uh, you're all going to die. Yeah. It's extreme. It's very extreme. <laughs> what if uh, Isabella had run into a ship from another race? Let's imagine... A little Klingon girl. I don't know why there's Klingon kids on a, on a Klingon ship. <laughs> How would that go? I imagine it would not go well. <laughs> uh, and I wonder, too, like, it was just so perfect that C- Clara had an imaginary friend already, and then she just TV. listened to TV. the description <laughs> yeah. and made herself look like right. that. Right, yeah, she's like, hmm, she's blonde, eh? Blue that, dress, that's easy huh? to do. I can do. I can do blue dress. Yeah, I know what a dress is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Klingon one wouldn't work out well. Uh, what if it was a pack led ship? Oh boy! <laughs> it's like you are not strong. I am not strong. Imaginary pack led and shows up. You're not. No, we're nobody's strong. And she just stays there forever because she's like everybody seems to be pretty like even handed with each other here. There's just one fake pack led on the ship forever. Um, did you have a favorite like comedy joke or, or a bit from the episode? Um, my problem with kid episodes is it's hard to make kids funny. You need a real standout actor or actress kid to yeah. really do humor. So it tends to be more kind of fairy tale-ish and, and sort of uncomplicated in its storytelling, which is why I tend to not like kid episodes. Although Miri is one of my favorite original series episodes simply because Kim Darby, who's not really a kid, and uh, Pollard, who's not really a kid, are good. But even the little kids are are pretty good with the uh, bang, bang, bang or whatever. Sure. Was was there a funny part in this for you? Um, there is a funny part where um, Troy's in ten forward, and like Guinan says something about like, was there something wrong with that cake? 
You know, like it's just <laughs> chocolate cake. <laughs> You're head, not eating it. You are not head into that cake. Yeah. Uh, planted in the bowl. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> um, so I would say that's probably <laughs> the funniest part for me. Yeah. Did they back off this season on the cake thing? She's not like actually like literally preparing to have sex with any food in this. No. Although I do have a crockpot theory that, that Troy is fueled by chocolate, just purely by chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Maybe that's a beta said feature that we don't. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, she has like hot chocolate earlier in the episode. <laughs> well, I want to ask you. That, like Isabella knocks over. It's not my fault. I'll, I'll have any female commentator on this show at any time. Sure. Um, I just don't have a long list of them. So I'm glad when you come on so I can save all my girl questions for you. Are you oh, ready? Oh, boy. So makeup. It's really tough, isn't it? How oh do you get gosh. the thing? No. Um, no. Here's the real question. Do you think that the chocolate thing with Troy is a girl thing? Or just a defining sort of like bold letter underlined like character characteristic, or is it the first one that goes so far into it that it kind of comes back around and becomes the second one? I think it's kind of the latter. I kind of fed you the answer there. Yeah, <laughs> but don't you think that it's one of those things where it's it's so much like oh she's a girl she loves chocolate but yeah. it's not like Crusher loves chocolate. No, that's true. But then again, I don't think we've ever seen Crusher eat. One time. She has tea and stuff like that. Oh, that's that right. She with, has breakfast sometimes. With, yeah. With Picard. Um, but yeah. And she just wants croissants. Yeah. But there are times with like whenever like a sexy older lady comes on the ship and starts making eyes at Picard, Beverly's suddenly like, but her mouth becomes a line. Yeah. And it's like, you had your chance. I know. In fact, we even kind of attacked that in a couple episodes. But they have to go back to that because she's a lady. She likes Picard. Right. Exactly. And I feel like that is a short... Uh, shortcoming of the storytelling or the characterization but the chocolate thing is just so it's always so upfront. it is that's almost it would be like if i don't know ensign Rowe really liked pink right and you're like shoot this girl loves pink but it just was all, just continued to be there and it was always there until eventually it's like no nah, she just likes pink right you think like they earn the chocolate thing eventually I think maybe they do Once she eventually. stops, like, thrusting her tongue into it and, like, rubbing on her face. Right. She, yeah, right. It's a little, a little much <laughs> It's a little sometimes. much. Yeah. Uh, you can never have too much. <laughs> I want to talk about an, an anti-joke, what I think is an anti-joke. Okay. And we kind of, not about, like, your mom's sister, but we kind of talked about it earlier. It's the part where Dana and Guinan are looking out the windows of Tent Forward and they're talking about the the shapes in the clouds and and Data points out that it's, He's noticed that people look for shapes in sort of random things, and it reveals what they're thinking about. He says, but besides, it's it's clearly a bunny rabbit. Right. And he kind of does it straight. It's like a straight line. It is. Because she kind of looks at him like, wah, wah, and he's like, hmm. He, he can't do that. <laughs> How much time has he been spending with Joe Piscopo in, in the uh, holodeck? Because <laughs> apparently he's learned to, to do comedy now, subversive comedy. Subtly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why it was clearly like Troy would have said that through gotcha. mouthfuls of chocolate. <laughs> it's, food for bun- it's a chocolate bunny. <laughs> Give me those ears. My favorite part is when uh, Guinan is talking to Clara about her imaginary friend. Her razor beast. Yes. Yes. Tarkasian razor beast that was her imaginary friend when she was growing up. I know. But <laughs> I, it's so specific. Yeah, I don't know if we get any other 
background on the Tarkasian razor beast ever, like, and we also don't get a lot of background on the home planet of the um, Alorians. So, no. yeah, what what the hell? I don't know, <laughs> but it makes it seem like, oh, well, maybe it's okay to have an imaginary friend, and yeah, right, yeah. Um, and this adult actually knows what I'm talking about and that sort of thing. And Apparently, they hopped too, because I remember the next time that Guinan has to talk to a child. While she is a child, yes, uh, is when she's talking to Ro, and she they talk about hopping Tarkasian razor beasts or whatever, because <laughs> somebody wrote that fast, I'm guessing, and then they jump on the bed because they're like, I bet you're a jumper on the bed. You probably jump all the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Uh, I was thinking about this before. We probably should have mentioned this before, but. Kids show up in other sci-fi things, too. I mean, I mentioned Poltergeist before, which is horror sci-fi. Sure. And you get, um, well, I'll throw it to you, so I don't have to work so hard. Like, can you think of any other examples of children in sci-fi situations? Uh, what about, like, AI? Solar babies, exactly. Oh, AI, right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's very much about fairy tales and one of the reasons that it didn't succeed and one of the reasons I think the marketing guy got fired is that it's all about an adult look at fairy tales, at love and parenting. Sure. And but not no subtitles for kids. Like there's one of the characters is a robot prostitute. Right. So that's right out. Yeah. Like that's not gonna there's no Disney AI land. That's not gonna no. happen. But I like the fact that they use those so when we bring a kid into the picture, like Kramer versus Kramer, not sci fi. Sure. <laughs> you know, Oscar winning drama. It's about custody. It's about a kid. Yeah. There's not a kid there to just be have fun. This isn't blank check. Sorry, Brian. Keep the sunglasses <laughs> on. But it's dealing with the issues that you would deal, you know, that kids bring into your life that a family um, causes you to confront. Right. I don't know if this episode does that for me. No, I don't think it really does. Braga, if he's really proud of the fact that they had a kid-centered story on presumably so they could address these issues. Right. He's written scripts that are much more sophisticated than that when dealing with different issues. Absolutely. So, um, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Well, I don't know. Isabella also has a creepy smile, which is something that <laughs> also just is wow, like... Wow, who's the mean girl now? Yeah, well, she... It's like she's <laughs> up to something. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, no, that's true. I bet, I mean... I think the it's kind of her face. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, if you, Shay Astar, if you've seen pictures of her now, like she's, you know, normal, pretty looking, you know, fine. Right. She's not doing a thing, but it was probably half performance, half casting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because she does have that sort of haughty, I'm not sure what she was like at the craft services table, like, uh, right. <laughs> like in between shots, but no, she's well cast for sure. Right. And Emily, I got to see, uh, or not Emily, uh, Clara. Uh, I got to see this Heidi movie. I'm pretty sure that I must have watched it at some point. Okay. I don't think that she's like, maybe there's a reason she retired. I don't <laughs> think she's a great performer, but she's also well cast because she's just so open and just you know, guileless. You can't, yeah. when she, people think, all right, now stop making up these stories, Clara. And she's like, no, like you immediately empathize with her. Right. And she is so guileless. Because we've all been there. Yeah. We've all, always, we've all had a blue-eyed, sometimes red-eyed uh, blonde girl uh, that we can talk to who, that's invisible. Who said that she was going to save us, but now 
she's gonna work. let all her friends kill us. Yeah, and broke Alexander's pimp cup that he was making for Worf. Yeah, exactly. Turned down for what? Come on. <laughs> well, I think usually we talk about themes. We've been talking about themes almost all the way through this. But if you had to pick like the main theme that this thing is trying to beat into you, flog into you, uh, what would that be? Um, I think it's trying to beat into us that um, having an imaginary friend is okay, but you need to, you know, not listen to them when they're <laughs> telling you things that you shouldn't be doing. Okay, I would have said uh, families should communicate with each other, but yeah, <laughs> don't don't listen to that red-eyed thing in the blue dress that's telling you to do stuff. No, that's a good that's a good theme. <laughs> it's funny that this show always seems to return to this whole, uh, hey, just talk to these kids. Maybe they won't stab you while you're sleeping, right? Or or whatever, and they never do. These situations, it's almost like they create the situation so then they, they can explain that the situation is bad. Like, if we cut to any of these kids and they're not all by themselves in a crew quarters or in engineering and there's adult supervision, right? maybe none of this would have happened or would have played out differently. <laughs> what is it about the 24th century and childcare that they're like, let them learn, let them learn. Let them loose. Right. And yeah. Some, someday they'll play with the phaser. Maybe the safety's on. Maybe it's off. Oh, my let gosh. Learn. The, the phased hand teaches best. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I couldn't feel it for a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just don't understand why that's uh, child care. And the writers must have had kids, right? I would think so. I just wonder what kept them from... Having a babysitter or... Well, yeah, or just, or just write... Daycare. When you, right, well, later on when you write... like So Miles and Keiko, of course, on DS9 become... The, the family sort of characters. I know sure. that that Ram and, and Cisco are parents too, but they're single parents. Right. And so that's the family unit that we see. And, you know, a lot of their stories deal with, oh, Molly's got to do this or whatever. But Keiko's got a job, but she's also like a mom. Or Brian right. is crawling through, you know, Jeffrey's tubes all day fixing stuff. And Keiko's like taking care of Molly. So we know that that's there. Right. I don't think we often see her crawling around <laughs> by herself no. in the promenade. So I just wonder why that that was okay. That was fine. It's almost like they, because you would see that, like, I don't know. In the original series, Charlie X is a weirdo. And you can't put Rand with him because he's going to start making weird eyes at Rand. So there's a reason that Charlie X is maybe sitting by himself or wandering around the corridors. We don't know what to do with a kid. But the Enterprise right. is like the Mall of America with warp nacelles. Like, some part of the Enterprise should be the daycare. And we get that eventually. Right. But somebody should be taking care of these kids. That's what I I'm going to PSA. Take take care of your kids. <laughs> Don't let your kids just sit there. Play with the replicators. Right. Who knows what's going to come out? <laughs> Shh, doors open. Circus peanuts. Just floor to ceiling. Just circus peanuts. <laughs> I don't know. Turn it off. Well, uh, now that we're coming to the end of the episode, uh, do you have any last thoughts about the episode? Sort of a summary or a wrap up. But remember, cool Coco no no Riza style. <laughs> Put some sun lotion on that horagon and um, is that how it works? I <laughs> I don't know. Is that how it works? Um, I would say that having an imaginary friend is cool, but having a Tarkesian Razorback imaginary friend is cooler. <laughs> and I had a lot of money on the Tarkesian Razorbacks. That's right. Let me down. That's right. Uh, and that family is important, and it's important to communicate with your family. Um, and which she never really does. 
Yeah. I mean, I think they get a hug at the end, but it isn't like... I don't think we, we don't see like a big scene where it's like, well, from now on, you can come to me with whatever you, you right. need. Well, and if your imaginary friend says she's going to kill everybody, you should let them know. Right. But this is the perfect episode where you should. So Trek does this a lot. It's fixed. We fly off. And it's right. like, so what happened? Did you ever teach a horror to read again or whatever? Um, and it does it. But this would be the perfect episode to have the denouement where we get another scene in the psychology department or whatever, or back at daycare. With where Troy. I think she's she's doing pretty good now. It's like, right. well, th- I want to thank you for your help, Troy, and she'll be no trouble at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, no, don't do that. Not like that. <laughs> uh, this one, it's, I, uh, someday I'm going to leave an episode just flat and just be like, it's, it's horrible. It's garbage. Move on. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine but just for all the creepy kids in tv and cinema like um close encounters of the third kind or really anything that spielberg does children of the corn children of the corn children of the damned sure the john carpenter er example of the blonde haired blue-eyed sometimes glowing eyed kid sure. that is we are afraid of our kids yeah because we don't understand them right. perfect and they i'm sure they were influenced by that this is fun. It's just such a, it's not a place that Star Trek usually goes. No. I think that the guy, Herbert, what's his name, was right in criticizing it. It's pulled off technically well because TNG is at that point where they could do, you know, they could do a Rodney King episode and probably pull it off. Uh, it's so topical. Right. And so they pull it off well, but it's just another one of those where it's like, yeah, but we're just kind of waiting around till the inner light, right? Right. So Fine. Fine. Do you think they could have ever come back to this? Um, does they, it, actually, doesn't Wesley have his own imaginary friend? Does he? <laughs> the Traveler. Oh, the Traveler. <laughs> Who yes. dresses up like Indians sometimes. Yes. And just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, I think they could have maybe come back to this, but why would they? <laughs> um, right. So it just feels like a one episode if you want to steal thing. something, here's my pitch, and then we'll quit. Um, if you want to steal something, do my idea about the damage control coming in or whatever. They come right. in, they bring people. It's the 24th century Starfleet, so there's an entire nursery on some dumb ship because they bring their kids everywhere. Um, <laughs> every day is bring your kid to work day in Starfleet. Right. So they come there, and they're going to deal with these energy people, and they're going to teach them stuff and teach them about our culture. But then you get a Solaris thing going on. So it's not just the kids. Some of the adults as well start seeing things from their imagination, like, you know, a a drop dead Fred kind of thing. Maybe your old imaginary friend comes back or maybe somebody who a dead loved one comes back. And because the the nebula aliens don't quite get what we mean when we talk about time's arrow and the permanence of matter and things like that, they start appearing as manifestations, you know, and start messing with everybody. In a thing that's already been done, Solaris, but that so, would be their sort of take on that. That would be cool. That's my pitch. I like it. Send it off in a manila envelope <laughs> to Paramount Studios. Well, uh, we've talked previously on the show about Space Dads beating up other Space Dads, your favorite captain is Picard. Yes. And I want to know, now that you've gotten through the entirety of TNG, do you have a favorite Captain Picard episode or maybe a moment Oh, boy. If you say the inner light, you're off the show. I was going to say the inner light. Oh, fine. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Even though it seems kind of um, 
Like that's the go-to episode yeah. for him. There's a kid in that. There are a couple kids in that. Patrick Stewart's kid. Really? He plays the adult son. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. Um, but that's just such a, it's such a great episode. And I, you know, I think as the seasons go on, you realize how much of a great episode and how influential that episode was because they keep calling back to it. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if they've done something like that in other episodes and they have, the answer is they have, um, they're far beyond the stars is kind of like that. Sure. Um, there's a couple episodes on Voyager where the crew experiences, you know, historical events or some other, somebody else's perspective, like in an out of body type thing. Um, none of them ever hit. Well, far beyond, people love far beyond the stars. I do love it too. Um, that does come back, but I think that it is interesting to note that many of the episodes that people call the best episodes are the least trekkiest episodes. Right. Recently on this show, I talked to Dayton Ward about Arena. And I think we agreed that it was the Star Trekiest episode that ever Star Trekked. Okay. Because it is phasers, some of it's phasers, uh, chasing an enemy ship, fighting an alien guy, uh, godlike aliens, okay. uh, peace treaties. And it's just like, that is what people think of when they think of Star Trek. And yeah. yet when they go, what's your favorite episode? People say things like, the one where the guy plays the flute. Right. Or the one where the guy is a black science fiction writer in the 50s. Right. <laughs> but that's not. <laughs> or yesterday's, yesterday's Enterprise, where we all live in this dystopian future where we're fighting against the Romulans and all the bridge lights are really dark and bluish. Right. And it's if you tuned in the next week, you'd be like, hey, where are the guys with the silver phaser belts and the where's the blonde chick and Shooter McGavin? Sure. No, no, that's not. The whole point was that's something else. Right. But people say those are the best episodes. Well, it's, which is fascinating to me. Well, it's, I just brought it up. That's It's fascinating to me. <laughs> and I wonder why they think that is. I'd like to do a poll, which I have the power to do. Maybe I'll do it for this show, where you poll people that aren't sci-fi uh, or Star Trek diehards. Okay. And see what they say. Okay. And see if they say that <sighs> Arena, for instance... Or, well, a lot of people say Best of Both Worlds. I'm trying to think of what's the most TNG, TNG episode. Oh, boy. I would say, the Eddie, like, the big goodbye. <laughs> but even that is, we're not Starship captains. We're, right. we're a private detective. Right. So, yeah. It's just, a, it's an enduring uh, sort of credit to Star Trek that it can continue. Yeah, it's about people on a ship flying around, but it can continue to bring you something new and different every week. Right. And sometimes that is a little girl with a little curl right between her glowing red eyes. That's right. Uh, (laughs) You work in the TurboLift department. That's correct. If I'm not mistaken. Now, this is your third uh, appearance on the show, which means that you are now promoted to full lieutenant. All right. With all the rights and privileges that that rank provides you. And I I know that things are going well in the TurboLift division. I think you've got a little bandwidth for some other tasks. So I'd like to know what other department on the ship you'd be willing to moonlight for. Or maybe Starlight. I don't know. Uh, Maybe engineering. Oh, okay. It's kind of related. From ops to engineering. Yeah. Is there a particular aspect of engineering that you would like to take control of? Um, Just keep me away from Jordy and I think I'll be okay. (laughs) The opposite. 
the opposite side of the engineering deck. That's Whatever right. he's working on. You hear those little his little feet coming up the rungs of the ladder? Yep. Ting, ting, ting. You're like, whoa, go the other way. Exactly. Completely. Yeah. A lot of times on the, sh- on the show, they're running from something and they're crawling on their hands and knees on those restaurant mats that line the trees yes. too that look really uncomfortable on your knees. And the door opens and there's there's something there. There's a alien or an invader or somebody that they have to ooh, back away from but for yeah. you you're crawling and the door opens and there's a <laughs> guy in a visor and you're like you get to <laughs> perfect uh, all right well we'll do our best to keep him away from you uh, i want to say thanks again for joining me for the show if people want to continue the conversation and they can at at eist pod on twitter and the enterprising individuals facebook page where can people find you online uh, they can find me at Mikan Hana. That's M I K A N H A N A on Twitter. I'm also at justenoughtrope.com and um, justenoughtrope on Facebook uh-huh. and uh, and Twitter. Okay. What's coming up on Just Enough Trope? We are talking about the beloved film Beastmaster. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> looking uh, forward to that. Yeah. Um,. Rip Torn, one of yeah. my favorite Rip Torn movies. <laughs> Rip Torn is always Rip Torn, isn't he? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And when he was <laughs> when he was in that, that wasn't like all that long after uh, Conan. I mean, he's clearly like, right. you're, you're the James Earl Jones guy. But I'm not sure you'd even have, what was Conan, like 81, 82? Something like that. Around the same time. So I don't think he would have even had James Earl Jones to look at to go like, oh, that's how you play the evil sorcerer king. Okay. So instead he's just like, rip torn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I got to tune in for that. So justenoughtrope.com. That's right. Okay. That sounds great. Thanks again for joining me. We are signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. So you're not-